and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric.anderson, that's E-R-I-K dot A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. Gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. We are continuing and finishing up our conversation we spent the last four weeks um, discussing and talking about. Um, this is our sermon series, Christmas Expectations. And as we've gone through this series of, of the season of Lent, uh, or sorry, Advent, we talk about... Um, we talk about what Advent means to the church, what it's meant historically to the church. And it's interesting that we actually start off the church year, uh, which starts on the first Sunday of Advent. We actually start off the church year not by celebrating Jesus, but by waiting for him. We take four weeks, four Sundays before Christmas, not celebrating the birth of Jesus, but waiting for Jesus to come. And, uh, and so we kind of tap into what they were expecting and longing for in the Messiah. And then we, we dwell on that and we think about that. We think about what it means to wait for Jesus to come again. So we get to spend some time talking about the Old Testament, talking about the hope of the Messiah that the Jews had. We also get to talk about some of our hope in Jesus as he's going to come again and he's going to right all wrongs and he's going to institute his kingdom fully um, on earth as it is in heaven. So we spend these four weeks waiting. And the way that we're talking about that waiting is with the, the word expectation. And what it means to expect things in the holiday season. And what it meant for the Israelites to expect uh, Messiah. So we've been walking through this sermon series, Christmas Expectations. What are you expecting this Christmas season? And how God does not necessarily meet our expectations, but he exceeds them. He does things that are well beyond anything that we could imagine. The first week... We talked about if you were to uh, have a Messiah, you would expect him to come from a great family. But we hear that Jesus did not come from a particularly great family. He had some uh, questionable characters in his genealogy, in his ancestry. Um, some people of ill repute that you would not want listed in your genealogy if you had one. But for some reason, um, the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write in these people who don't seem to fit. They weren't Jews, and many of them were uh, uh, not morally upright. 
But the Holy Spirit insisted and inspired Matthew to include them, to record them in the genealogy of Jesus. And that's an unexpected kind of Messiah that we have. We hear that God wants to do miracles for us in the midst of the Christmas season. We hear that God wants to work through not only the miracles, but also the mundane. We have this God who continues to um, exceed our expectations and also frustrate our expectations. And today um, we kind of finish off this series. We finish off um, this teaching series on this unexpected God by a very unexpected um, uh, way. This, this passage that we heard today um, is a song or a poem that was sung or said by Mary, the mother of Jesus, to her cousin, Elizabeth. And last week we talked about their meeting and uh, Elizabeth was well uh, past childbearing age and she got pregnant miraculously from, from God. Um, God gave uh, Elizabeth a baby and uh, we know that that person would be John the Baptist, one of Jesus's forerunners. And then Mary also was miraculously pregnant. So we have an old woman and a young woman, both miraculously present, pre- uh, pregnant and both uh, producing people who were going to preach the gospel and change the world forever. And they met last week. We talked about that. And Elizabeth said to Mary, why is it that the mother of my Lord should come and speak to me? She kind of, she kind of glorified Mary because Mary was bearing the Messiah. And then this, this song, this poem, Mary responds with it. And it's kind of an interesting way to respond. Uh, probably uh, Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit when she said this, but also this might have been um, part of a hymn that they would have sung. Uh, maybe Mary took some of the Jewish hymns and kind of uh, reworked them into this poem, into this song. But Mary just explodes with worship when she hears uh, this honor from Elizabeth, her cousin. And it's a beautiful poem. And I'm a total Bible nerd. I'm a total geek when it comes to the Bible. And this thing, it's like it itches, it scratches every nerdy itch I have. It is a great poem, a great example of Hebrew poetry. And also every single line you could find, you could hyperlink it back to a specific prophecy. It's like Mary is condensing all of the prophetic images that Isaiah and Ezekiel um, and Jeremiah had. She's like condensing them all into one great poem. And so she obviously knew her Bible well. She obviously knew her Old Testament well. And so Mary's kind of playing the role of prophet. And she's using this poem to tell about what God has done and what he's going to do. And so because this is a poem, because this is a song, I want us to uh, listen to it again um, the way that we might try to listen to a poem or a song. So what I want you guys to do, um, I want you guys to close your eyes and I'm going to recite this poem to you again, using a different translation so that we hear some of the different words. Um, and also this translation, I think, clears up a couple things. So close your eyes and listen to what Mary says. With all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God, my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised our ancestors, to Abraham, to Abraham's descendants forever. Amen. That's the poem of Mary. Isn't that beautiful? It's a great poem. It's a great song. And you could go line by line and we could talk about all the different prophetic uh, links that she's, that she's clicking on here as if it were a Wikipedia page. She has those hyperlinks. She's referencing and she's quoting these prophets. Um, but we're not going to do that today, uh, mostly because most of you would not enjoy that. I would enjoy that, um, but most of you wouldn't. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look at kind of the main, uh, the center of this poem, the main point that Mary is making, that the Holy Spirit is making through Mary, and how that's unexpected for us. And you know, we live in a world um, that people like Mary back then are not honored. Mary was kind of the lowest of the low in her society. She was uh, a young girl, and in that society, uh, women were not given a voice. They could not really own uh, much property unless they were married and widowed, and they had some legal uh, mechanisms in place for widows. Uh, But she was a young girl who had no property of her own. She was not able to participate in public life that much. She could participate in worship, but only marginally. And so she was kind of like the the marginalized of the marginalized. She was just kind of an afterthought. She was somebody who was going to be traded and sold from her parents to somebody who would um, uh, marry her and and bring her into their family. She was kind of a, a weak, low kind of person. And in our age, much like in uh, the first century Israel, people who are lowly are not really honored that much, right? In fact, we really like, we really honor those people who have power and authority and influence, right? And skill. Because when a big Fortune 500 company is hiring a CEO, who do they hire? They hire a CEO from another big company, don't they? They honor somebody who's already gotten the influence and the authority and the power already. In our politics, we tend to honor those who have shown themselves, proven themselves to be well-functioning, high-functioning members of society, right? So we tend to give power to those who already have power and influence, don't we? We tend to honor those people. And for some good reasons, right? Because it takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of know-how. It takes a lot of work. And our assumption is if you own a business or if you, um, if you own a big business or if you've gotten to some sort of place of influence, then more than likely you've worked hard to get there. And if you're poor, if you are um, underprivileged, more than likely it is something, something is wrong with you. You're not educated enough. Or maybe you are a victim of something. Someone has done something to you. You kind of uh, almost deserve to be down there. And what we tend to do is that we tend to say those people who are uh, poor and marginalized are going to stay that way. And the people who are uh, powerful are going to increase power. And there's a great example of this that we just experienced this week. And you're not going to get away from this historic week without talking about impeachment. Okay? But here's the thing. Okay? Here's my promise to you. I have my opinions about that whole situation, and so do you. I will not tell you my opinions of that situation, and I do not want to hear your opinions about that situation. Deal? 
Okay, so we're not going to be talking about politics. We're going to be talking, I observed this week, I watched, um, I watched the, the, the hearings and the proceedings. And if you have an opinion about it, I hope that you spent time actually watching the proceedings and not just hearing it from cable news. But I hope you actually watched it. And it was super interesting because what happened all week was this. One person from one party would come up and they would say, this is morally wrong, this is morally wrong, what this person did or that person did or this group did is morally wrong. Then the person from the other party would get up and say, what this person did was even worse than that. And what about this other thing that happened here? And that was way worse than what happened there. And the whole week, it was like the parties were trying to show that they had the moral footing, right? They were trying to show that they had the moral uprightness and they had the power and the influence to show that they were right and the other side was wrong. And ultimately, um, a historic thing happened. President Donald Trump was impeached by uh, the House. Uh, he was charged with, with the Articles of Impeachment. And it was a Democratic-controlled House, right? And now the whole drama is, is it going to get sent to the Republic-controlled Senate? Because where the Democrats have power, it passes. Where the Republicans have power, it's not going to pass, right? It's all about who's in control. The whole thing is about who has the power and who, who can keep the power. And in fact, our whole political system is based on this. The parties that we have, the only thing they do is get people elected. That's what they're there for. They're there to get people power and to maintain power. And we honor these people, right? Sometimes. Some of them are knuckleheads, right? But we honor, we tend to honor these people. And we tend to point to them as our leaders, We tend to give honor and we tend to raise up those who have influence and those who don't have influence, we tend to forget and push to the side. And what we hear in Mary's poem today is God's unexpected kingdom. And this is what, this is kind of the meat, the middle section of this poem. And this is what Mary says. He has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. And I'm going to stop here uh, because Mary right now, she's tapping in, remember, to this Old Testament um, prophet. So she's kind of playing the part of the prophet. And uh, this is, you guys, some of you may not care about this, but it's super interesting, I think. Um, She uses the past tense here. She says, he has shown great strength. He has scattered the, those with arrogant thoughts. But what we need to do is we need to get into the Jewish mindset here because she's being a prophet right now. She's playing the part of the prophet and they see time a little bit differently than we do. So for you and me, for Westerners, right? We, the past is behind us and we're looking into the future, right? And so we see all the possibilities that could happen and we try to play the chess game, right? We see into the future and the past is behind us. But in the Jewish mindset, it's the opposite. They are looking at the past, and the future is behind them. They don't know the future, and they don't try to understand the possibilities. They look at the past, and they don't see the future. Their back is to the future. Now, a prophet, an Old Testament prophet, is someone who God has granted them the ability to do this and get a little peek at what's coming up. So that's what, that's what a prophet does. They're looking at the past, and then they get a peek behind them into the future. And so oftentimes the prophets will use things that have happened in the past, because they're looking at it, to talk about something that's going to happen in the future. So it's normal for a prophet to be talking about something that's going to happen in the future and to use the past tense. 
Because what a prophet will do is a prophet will look back and say, okay, God's going to scatter those with arrogant thoughts. And then they're going to look back into the history of Israel and they're going to say, oh, there's a king, a Jewish king, who did not follow God's ways. There's a king who has mistreated God's temple and God pulled them from their throne. God scattered them. He, God made them fall from grace. And so they'll say, he has scattered those with arrogant thoughts. Because they'll see something in the past that's happened. And so this is what Mary's doing. She peeks in the future and she sees that something is going to happen. And she uses the past tense to talk about it. And then she moves on. She says, he has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. Now this is unexpected. Because in our world, those who have influence, we say they must have done something to get them there, right? And rightly so. Lots of times people have worked very hard to get the influence and the wealth that they have. But in God's kingdom, everything is upside down. And God's going to pull the powerful down from their thrones, and he's going to put the lowly in place of the powerful. God's going to fill up the hungry with good things, with good food, and he's going to send the rich away empty-handed. It is completely backwards from what we would expect. We live in a world that tries to gain power and gain influence and keep power and do this and do that, and God says, no, 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 no. In the kingdom, those who are weakest, those who are smallest, they're the ones who are going to be lifted up. And this is why Jesus spent so much time healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, proclaiming the forgiveness of sins to those who are outcast. And in fact, um, when John the Baptist was in jail, he sent one of his disciples to Jesus and he said, Jesus, are you actually the Messiah or, or should we wait for another one? And Jesus tells the disciple, he says, you go back to John and you tell him, the blind have received sight The sick are healed, and the poor have the gospel proclaimed to them. The kingdom is here. In Jesus' mind, the kingdom meant that those who were chronically ill were healed, and those who were poor and underprivileged were told, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are a child of God. It's much different, right, than we expect here. And so here's the reality for us today. Here's some of the, here's the hard truth that we're going to face this morning is that those places in your life that you have pride, those places in your life that you have influence, it could be as small as the sports team that you are into. It could be as big as the local uh, power that you have, right? In your, in your uh, politics and local politics or in your business, God's going to take it from you. You don't get to enter the kingdom of God with anything else but God. Uh, Last night, uh, one of our parishioners uh, said after the, after service, he goes, you know, my, my friend had a, had a saying, you never see a hearse with a U-Haul behind it, right? Everything that you value, everything that you love, everything that you are proud of, your business, your work, your career, your home, your garden, it's going to be taken from you. You don't get to enter the kingdom with it. All the glory and honor that I receive as a pastor, which of course is, you know, fairly modest compared to some other, right, glory and honor. But even this year I'm reminded I have received countless uh, Christmas cards, which thank you guys. You guys are very generous and loving. 
But all the honor and glory that I receive as a pastor, all the power that I have uh, spiritually over this congregation, all the authority that I have over this congregation, God's going to take it from me. I don't get to enter the kingdom of heaven with it. He's going to pull me down off my throne and he's going to set someone else there. And it'll probably be one of you. Probably one of you who is poor, chronically ill, or marginalized, or sick. I'm going to lose all of the authority and power and influence that I have. I do not get to enter in the kingdom of God with it. You don't get to enter into the kingdom of heaven with your influence, with your politics, with your things, with your career. God's going to pull you down off your throne. So we fear God, right? That's a scary thing. He's scary. Because we don't get to enter into the kingdom of heaven with it. And in fact, um, I don't always read Martin Luther as I'm preparing for a sermon, but um, I happened to this week, and I would kind of was searching through his works, and I found this letter that he wrote to one of the princes, one of the German, uh, the princes of the German state, so a political leader in his world. And he wrote him a letter, and he told him, um, hey, you should study Mary's poem really, really closely. And in fact, you should memorize it. So he told a political leader to read this and to memorize it. He's going to pull you down off your throne. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine uh, President Trump's spiritual advisor telling him to memorize this? Holy moly, we would never do that, right? Can you imagine Speaker Pelosi's spiritual advisor telling her to memorize this? Holy moly, right? Like, we would never speak that way to one of our politicians. But the reality of this prophecy is all those who have power and influence, it's going to be taken from them. It's going to be taken from them. They don't get to enter into the kingdom of heaven as a prince or a president or a speaker. You do not get to enter in the kingdom of heaven as a business owner or a careerman or rich. You are going to be, it is going to be taken from you. God is going to pull you down off your throne. And it's scary, right? But here's the gospel. Here's the good thing. Those things in your life that you are low, those, spa- those places in your life where you are weak and helpless, that's where God comes in and he lifts you up. When we're suffering with addiction, when we're suffering with chronic illness, when we're suffering with loneliness and broken relationships, that's where God comes in and he actually lifts us up onto a throne. That's the place where God is going to, to take us and he's going to grab a hold of us and he's going to bring us close to him. And he's saying, you know what? You may feel like a nobody. You may feel like nothing. You may be lonely this season, but I'm here with you. I'm drawing close to you and I'm here. I'm going to give you comfort and peace. Yes, we are going to lose everything when we enter in the kingdom of heaven, but we're also going to gain God. That's a pretty good trade. I'm reminded of uh, a theologian who once said, the man who has God in everything has nothing more than the man who just has God. We may lose everything entering into the kingdom of heaven, but we get God. And that's the good news. Is that in our lowness, in our loneliness, in our sickness, in our addiction, in our fear, in our helplessness, that's where God grabs a hold of us and he lifts us up. And he brings us to him. And he cares for us. So yes, we should fear God. 
But we should also love him because he gives us comfort and he cares for us even and especially in those hard things. And this is the reason why um, when Jesus was, was teaching, there was one point where all these children were trying to come to him. And the disciples were like, no, 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 Jesus is too busy for kids. And Jesus said, no, let the little children come to me. And the assumption, uh, the, the word here, the little children actually means like toddlers, like not sufficient, self-sufficient at all. Right? My two-and-a-half-year-old cannot do anything on his own. Right, and That's the kind of idea, these toddlers. He's like, let them come to me. And then he tells the disciples, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're like this little child, dependent on God for everything. And so that's what the Christian life is. It's a cultivation of our dependence on God. And it's a good dependence, and it's a right dependence. And we know that God's going to care for us in our sickness. We know that God's going to care for us in our addiction. We know that God's going to care for us in our loneliness and in our brokenness. So this holiday season, we can expect something from God. And it may not be what you expect. But we can expect God to care. In our brokenness, in our helplessness, he's there for us. And he's drawing us up close to him. Yeah, he's going to, you know, I was reminded uh, this weekend, I keep thinking of that Johnny Cash song, God's going to cut you down, because God's going to cut us down. He's going to take away all the things that we love dearly, but he's going to give us care, and he's going to give us himself, which is a worthwhile trade, I think. So this season, this holiday season this week, expect God to care. Expect God to care for you in your brokenness and in your, and in your humility. Amen. Amen. Amen.